Anyway, we're here. <laughs> Cut are, that out. are we here? <laughs> we're trying to get some traction here. We're on slipping around on ice. Get the chains on. All right, now we're ready. I hope you've got somewhere to take us today. Because yeah, we're going to the church. Oh, I know that, but who? Let me do this. Oh, I need one of those. What is that? This one's... A pocket dictionary of theological terms. We can just you go get, to that guy. You get dictionary of <laughs> doctrinal, doctrinal terms. terms. That should be our opener. Fisher just randomly flip open. And here Let's we go. pick a term. <laughs> term, any term. Term for today is inspiration. Today's that, episode... sound, that sounded very Sesame Street. <laughs> Is sponsored by, by the letter I and the number one. Um, because there's only one inspired book. It's a Bible. I, I believe there's 66 books in that. No, it's one book, not according it's to book of books. I closed my... anyway. It's a codex, it's a codex of books. Jeremiah, a codex. Uh, I'm Jeremiah, that's Nigel, that's Gordon. We're here for the first time in months, three months, <laughs> so this might be weird. Um, but we're here to continue a series that we started in October. So maybe you haven't listened to it, and that's okay. It'll look we're, more continuous because of how it gets posted. As long as you don't look at the date, it looks like, oh, yeah, they're just going for dates. Don't look at the one thing yeah, to the next. Yeah, it's fine. It's just 2023. So how was your 2023? I was in India. I rode in a really scary bus. Uh, so if you ever go to India, you should ride in a uh, an overnight bus. Eight-hour overnight bus from the jungle to a city. Good times. Good times. There was vomit at the end. Answers to prayer uh, throughout. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> like, the only thing you can do is laugh, because otherwise you're going to die. You know what I mean? You're going to be so stressed out. <laughs> but you're supposed to sleep. All the people went to sleep. No problem. I mean, yeah. the nerve, you know? The nerve. The, I don't know. The trust in the they're, drivers. They're, they're, they got nerves people of steel. They really trust their drivers. I have never trusted a driver. I think what it is is, like, you, you realize you have no choice. You don't. You're there. You're it's in just, this bus. It's kind of like being in a plane, you know. Like we were, we took a plane, so we took a spice jet plane. Don't do that. Um, we go to India. Spice jet, hilarious name. Was they it? bought a bunch of seven thirty seven maxes, and seven thirty seven maxes uh, got a computer thing put in them in the 18, 2018-ish. Uh, they were like a new thing, right? Uh, and the point of it was that if your plane started pointing too high up, it would correct it, and then and well, you got to fix it, right? Uh, the problem was uh, two different times in one year, the plane was like, we're pointing too high up, but they were double. And so they, and then everybody died and that was no good. Um, so we get on their spice jet plane. It's the middle of the night and we start backing up and I look up and the number I see is 737 max. And so I quickly opened my phone and was like, airplane mode. I'm not doing that. I need to make sure you're allowed to fly this plane before we take off. You were going to intervene? I'm stuck on the plane. But I need to know. I didn't tell Lisa about the seven thirty-seven no, maxes until we landed. Yeah, after. Yeah, because you know with planes, most of the time it's like you're once you're up there, you're up there. You know That's I mean? exactly what it is. We just gotta trust that this works, <laughs> that we actually know how to fly. Yeah, uh, which is terrifying. They probably got a really good deal on them, though. I think they did. They corrected it, according to the internet. <laughs> and they all get shuffled off to some second rate, no, they've third actually, rate. They've all been. They've all airline been, uh, in uh, India. Every country in the world uh, now. Will fly 737 Maxes. Okay. So don't worry. You could also be on a 737 Max. Um, <laughs> so that's what I did these three months. I was in India twice. That's right. <laughs> I came back and they were like, nope, got to come back again. Do I was that like, again. great, super fun. Um, so our daughter is home. So that's exciting. Uh, she's super fun. Yeah. She screamed at me for a while this morning because I wouldn't let her go in the car during breakfast. 
So that's my day. Um, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the church. Uh, <laughs> we have a new camera, which means I don't have to like get up in the middle of this. Um, we're here to talk about the church. We were talking about the church previously, and today we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. Um, so uh, that is our that is our goal. So this is uh, according to Grudem, and then I have some other things that we're going to get into based on that. So uh, Grudem says the primary purposes of the church are ministry to God, that is worship, uh, believers, that is to nurture them, and the world, which is evangelism and mercy. And then his text is Ephesians 4. Uh, so Ephesians 4 says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, for it says, When he ascended on high, he took captives captive, and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean, uh, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he gave himself, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. I mean, this long thing. I can't read all of Ephesians right now. It's, I mean, I could, but that's not what we're doing. Right we're now. not doing that. So, um, so thoughts on purposes of the church. From Ephesians four. From Ephesians four. I was—that's an interesting passage to pick to talk about the church, but it tells us the purpose of the church is to build up the body of Christ, right? I think that's the purpose of the those people, the offices, the offices, yeah. or whosoever church leadership is. Where would you go to talk about the purpose of the church? I only have Jonah in my head at the moment. Jonah. <laughs> that's we're not I would not go to Jonah. Jonah. Well, I mean, that's how to teach you not what not to do. Don't go sit on a mountain and be like, I hope these people die. But it could be to go evangelize the Ninevites and they all get saved. I, Even if you're not happy with the situation. <laughs> Even if you don't like it. I do like Grudem's threefold thing there. I actually think it's very helpful. Yeah. So I guess the other place would probably be Acts two, right? Um, it gives us kind of what the early church did. Uh, it doesn't really give us Purpose-wise? Purpose, but it tells us what they did when we can categorize those things. I think a broader categorization is the Great Commission. We have go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So there's the evangelistic component as an understanding that we are a part of something larger historically, not just in the past, but in the future, that there is a great work of God that's being done. And our purpose is to uh, follow the Lord in that as the Holy Spirit gifts and calls and directs into foreign fields and local missions uh we are our purpose is to make disciples of all nations and then secondarily to teach them everything that jesus has commanded so that's the training discipleship um and the the idea of growing the believer up and that's where ephesians 4 fits in is all right so that segment of a church's purpose is to grow to maturity so therefore god has organized the church in such a way to bring us to that place because if you read in chapter 4 it's the purpose is to stop younger or, or stop not younger believers, but to prevent a, a stagnant immaturity where we become vulnerable to the temptations and the pressures of the world. So the, the purpose is to grow us so that we become more fortified in our, in our faith. And so like two really broad purpose um, components would be, would come out of the great commission. And then out of that, like you said, there's a lot of subsections that, you can't you, if you think about them like well of course like we were talking about earlier worship like it has to have a, a place of its own it probably fits underneath the subset of you know growing into maturity as a disciple but it, it has its own unique fundamental purpose because as 
as human beings, we are called to give glory to God. Right. So, yeah, that's. So um, the nine marked people, they give us these nine things that you should look for in a healthy church, which I think they would say are the purposes of the church. I could be wrong, but, you know, um, I think some of these you could put them to them. I think they went for nine you know what i mean like, they just, were like we're going for nine we're, so that's going to be our thing we could put together into one category and we'd be fine um so it's a great biblical number it's not though let's pull nine out yeah like 12 seven, seven everyone's three. doing sevens let's do nine yeah ten ten no, that's too many too many if you get into double digits it doesn't look as cool it doesn't um then it's just an x not a yeah. Anyway, so their nine marks of the church are uh, preaching, biblical theology, the gospel, conversion, evangelism, membership, discipline, discipleship, leadership. Um, but those are the things that make up a church, a healthy church. A healthy church, yes. Yeah. Worship in there. I think it's included theoretically in some of those. Maybe you could include it in biblical theology or in discipleship. Um, yeah. But to me, like discipline is part of discipleship, yeah. right? But if we're doing discipleship well, seems like they're arbitrarily pulling yeah, we're elements pulling out. stuff out like conversion yeah. and evangelism. Seems. Yeah. Anytime we tell someone the gospel, we're evangelizing. So hopefully, hopefully with the conversion. Well, hopefully conversion happens as a subset of anyway. So, so those are their nine marks. Thoughts? Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I uh, wanted to go through uh, Grudem's things real quick and how they happen in the church. So the first one is worship. And with worship, we get into this idea i don't think we've talked about this before so uh uh of the regulative principle so do one of you guys want to explain what the regulative principle is no regulative (laughs) conversely you're regulative i don't know what the other one is called (laughs) it would have to be regulative is there a different word for the other one sometimes what happens in theology is people get to the words first and then they have better words Um, sometimes they get them to a second like tulip yeah, and then your Daisy acronym. No oh, Daisy just no one knows cares what that what means, and everyone assumes because everyone tulips are so much more beautiful than daisies. Yeah. And, but also, no one, everyone assumes Daisy came second. It did not. No, it's number one. I'm more of an orchid the guy. They went, started it. They went for the, the, the flowers. <laughs> they picked the wrong uh, non-memorable flower. So the regulative principle, put simply, according to Derek Thomas, uh, uh, states that the corporate worship of God is to be founded on specific dis- directions of Scripture. Um, so, uh, the idea being, uh, we don't do anything in a worship service that we are not directed by scripture to do. Um, and so anything outside of that is not worship. And, and yeah. And the regulative principle moves beyond necessarily things that we've observed in scripture have been done in worship. So you to can, didactic yeah, teaching. So exactly. you have to be taught to do it. Yes. So you can't just simply say, okay, well, I saw this happen in the book of acts so that must be what we must do like that's not how it works it's more like these are the instructive elements not just the the caught parts of what happens in worship this is the this and is I think the top most part. people hold to some version of this right everybody has a line yeah you would say you know what we shouldn't do that in church <laughs> and yeah. the reason would basically be this uh even if you don't necessarily hold to this anywhere else so this led uh to john calvin holding to for like uh singing uh they would sing only the psalms because the psalms are the hymn book of scripture therefore we don't need to write new songs we just need to put music to the psalms we'll sing those um so that is the far end on the one end on the other end you have people who are kind of like we're just gonna i mean the quakers i guess would be the people who 
going to be the opposite end of this, right? Yeah. We're going to show up and hope somebody like see what happens. See what happens. Open your mouth. Let's if if see a message comes, comes to somebody, then great. If not, I guess we don't have church today, and we just or we just sit. I don't know what Quakers do if no one has a message. That's that's the weird part is that Isn't it? somebody always has a message. Somebody always does. Somebody <laughs> came with one. I mean, that's right. <laughs> somebody showed up and was like, if nobody stands up, I don't know. He's just pulling off his notes. <laughs> John's an idiot. <laughs> that's not. That doesn't, that's no, not relevant. That's, that's not, not relevant. <laughs> True, not not relevant. So I guess those would be the two ends, right? It would be John Calvin and the Quakers. Yeah. So the Quakers being, we kind of just are here and we let whatever happens happen. We don't really plan anything. Uh, and then on the other end, the uh, we only... Even even to the songs we sing, so we find songs in Scripture. So you could sing Philippians two, uh, you could sing Colossians one, uh, you could sing things from Revelation, you could sing things from the Psalms. You take notes. Right. YouTube does it. Yeah, <laughs> YouTube. If YouTube can do it, I mean, technically, Avenged Sevenfold also does it, but <laughs> I don't think we should be singing. That's where the that's where you draw the line. <laughs> that is where. Uh, probably way before. Right. That. So, the, so <laughs> if we think of, like you mentioned, some of the scriptures, like Colossians, and like these are the hymns of the church, right? So, Christ hymns. Are we thinking they're merely poetic, or that they're structured in a way that is reflective of a style or or, or, or a genre of the time, or are these songs as hymns? Probably the first, and theoretically, they could still be songs. Could still be songs, Because right? in the Philippian jail, Paul and Silas begin to sing hymns. I think that's the word they use, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. theoretically, what Paul writes in Philippians 2 could be what they sang right. in the jail. In church history-wise, we've used creeds to form songs and put into, like, so I guess where I would I would ask the question, and I don't maybe I should have studied it more, maybe I have some assumptions, and I could be wrong, are the 150 psalms that we see in the book of psalms um is that a closed canon of worship for the old testament for the or did they sing other songs or did they sing other songs i think they sang other songs i think they did so with because even if they didn't then because they would two doesn't make a luke one doesn't make a lot of sense right? but then you have songs and songs and exactly. moses singing songs and deborah not deborah miriam yeah deborah so, might have sang a song. she might have <laughs> Sure, throw a song in there every now and again. <laughs> throw in a little bit of battle hymn. Um, so there is, I think we've already we already seen scripture in uh, that that this the regulative principle in its most confined way doesn't what doesn't does, happen in Old Testament or New Testament. What does Calvin do with the verses that say "sing a new song"? What does he do with that? Like, seems I pretty obvious. Don't know. Yeah. Um, I think. The sing a new song portions, and I could be wrong about this, are mostly in the Old Testament. So those new songs would be found in like the book of Revelation. So like in, in Revelation, it says they sang a new song, but then it tells us what it is. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily say that we will sing newer songs, but that that's the song they sang. And so I would assume that he would say we have been given. So if, if uh, I think he would take it to like scripture as, as inspired. Back to our word for the day. Uh, <laughs> there we go. And, uh, uh, if we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, that would include our worship songs. Yeah. I would think that... I don't know if that works at the time. I was going to say, at the time of Calvin, 
they're probably looking like man 150 songs these are we've got we've got endless tools to use here 500 years later we have much more broad the church is more present broadly around the world it shouldn't surprise us that there would be more and more songwriting that would come out of like creativity is an expression of god's work yeah, in I us i think also in, in I, like in isaiah in the second section of isaiah one of the things that you see is that uh the people are going to it doesn't tell you what song they're going to sing it says they're going to break out in song uh because of the grace of god yeah and that when we receive grace praise and worship follows and not and and yeah. so we should expect that even if even if you were going to take the regulative principle as for in the church service on a Sunday, right? Which I think is typically where this would go. Like I don't think the people yeah. who are like I can't listen to Christian music because regulative principle. Right. Um, no, would, in the gathering uh, of the church. Yeah, it'd be on Sunday morning in church. That would be the place that we would be limited. Um, I think you would still end up with people writing songs about the grace of God, right? Yeah. How do you because, How do you not? Yeah. Amazing grace. I don't. I, I, so and I think it also ignores church history that this is what they did. Yeah. And we don't know what songs they sang. We don't have them. Uh, so like Philo sends somebody to to go spy on, or Plenty, sorry. Not mm-hmm. Plenty sends people to spy on the church. And when he comes back, he says they sing songs to Jesus like he's God. But we don't know what those songs were. Uh, they might have been Philippians 2 and Colossians 1. Mm-hmm. That's true. But they also could have been many mm-hmm. other things. Nor do we have the tunes of the right, psalms. Right, how they were singing them. Yeah. So, and it's great to put scripture to to music i think some yeah, of the yeah. best worship songs are just that sure. because then we at least we can be like yeah the theology is not wrong yes yeah <laughs> it answers one we, of our we questions got, we got the words um, because i think the from God. what this is trying to fix at least in calvin's mind probably is that we sometimes ignore that uh worship is theology so when we sing songs about god we are teaching people about god mm-hmm. and the songs the things that will stick to them we we can go to a funeral or a celebration of life service, even um, with the one we just had for the Hoskins, right? One of the things they said is when uh, when Denny was at the end and couldn't remember anything, they played gospel music. He remembered the songs. Yeah, you right? sing along. So even yeah. when we get old, the thing we're going to remember from church isn't always the sermons and the, and the like very technical definitions of things, but you will yeah. remember the songs that you sing. Yeah. So we should be careful about not singing songs that are incorrect. Yeah, because we're I, teaching I'm, ourselves 100%. theology by singing songs. Yeah. So we should, in that sense, and I think that's typically people who are regulative principle people. Typically, that is a concern of theirs. That modern worship music, oftentimes we don't involve theologians in the writing of it. Right? We're just kind of like, oh, you're yeah. good at music. Go go write a song. Yeah. Have fun. Make and then whatever they write, we're I'm holding my tongue to out out name a pastor <laughs> who helps his band write music. Yeah, you know, <laughs> include include that one. <laughs> That's fine, right? I don't. I but that's what we do. Is but that would be the outlier, right? So elevation would be that church, right? That Stephen Furtick helps. Bethel would be similar, um, theoretically. Uh, But I think that actually proves the point. Their theology is coming out in their worship, and their and their theology is becoming increasingly more problematic. Right. Right. So So, our intention, but both of those people, the reason their pastors are included is because they want their theology. Where you have bands like Maverick City Music is kind of its own thing outside Without any, the church, yeah. and so sometimes the songs are really good, and sometimes you're like, "What are we talking about?" The yeah. <laughs> did you run this by your goal was creativity, not right? And so I think content. The regulative principle people typically their concern is that we are 
handing over theological education to people based on musical talent rather than theological accuracy. Yeah, and my pushback would be is that we have, usually it becomes a hymn versus contemporary music yes. thing too. I, I, I think... There's a lot of bad hymns though. There are, <laughs> but there are, and there are, there, there is the familiarity of language and not language in the sense of being doctrine or theological, but language in the sense of this was a poetic form. Yeah. And these were words that were used to describe things of that genre anyway, of that, of that age or that period. And now we use different words to describe those things, but they don't necessarily have to be less theologically true yeah. simply because we're not using the same. We should use theological words in preaching for sure. Like if we don't, if we're trying to help somebody understand the gospel and we don't use words like sin and repentance, Probably, like probably not. Right. And then give, give uh, the definition, definition for those. as we go yeah. so that we actually are learning. Yeah, right. And, and that would be the instructive part. To say that the, the, the hymn or the song that we're singing has to use the language that magnified God in the 1600s to the 1800s um, simply because it, it feels, uh, it has a, a feel to it that, that correlates with King James uh, translations of the Bible doesn't necessarily make that hymn more theologically right. accurate than a worship True. song. Yes. The The other part of it is the repetitious nature of worship that the, the transition from okay, a hymn, unless you have a, a chorus, right? A hymn has four verses and, you know, stanzas, whatever you call them. And then you, you're done. Um, if you have a chorus, then you repeat a chorus. There's very little, there's far fewer hymns that are repetitive than not. But that would be a critique of contemporary worship is that you, the repetitive nature of it's not kind of like heaven, holy, 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 very exactly all day long, and like the psalms, right? We're like we're doing these repeat and, and uh, echo chorus kind of things, but there can be an element of um, we're like mantra ish, right? Like we're gonna sing this so many times until we've blended our mind away from the the word that's that we're using, and um, that's a you know that's a potential obviously but um, that has and that I, is more to do with execution than anything with else also we remember the really good ones um so the hymns people mm. want people to sing aren't we've shifted we yeah. so sifted yes. yeah, i shifted they've, they've, they, yeah they've been sifted so like charles wesley wrote a hymn a day for most of his adult life most of those were bad yeah and that's okay we don't totally. sing those ones. Yeah. Uh, A.B. Simpson. <laughs> we, right? Like, well, we don't... Like, we and just, he obviously didn't make other people sing them. Like, and he wasn't some. like, no, you've got to do all yeah. of these. <laughs> got 2, he was 000. just writing them because he was like, we need to worship. We need songs that, that worship God. So we're going to write. I'm just going to keep writing. And then some of them stick. And so I think some of it is in our present time, we're so concerned that all of the songs will stick that are bad. Right? Like every era of worship music throughout time has had songs that everyone's like, I really hope we don't sing this again. Yeah. Um, never ever <laughs> I really hope this one goes away and probably it will mm. actually so if if we believe that that christ is guarding the church and people are and we have people who are actually teaching sound doctrine then a lot of the songs theoretically will and there's also songs that are really good in the season and then, and then you in, never in 10 in 10 years it's like uh it was okay and for sure right. so i think so some true. of it is like a focus on the present as like the most important thing that we're like we sometimes panic about like oh no these songs and it's yeah. like well we could also i mean sometimes i also think we should just like actually look at the words and be like do we actually believe this if not then we don't need to sing this yeah and we can just do it again. we don't have to sing a song just because everyone is singing it. doing it
which I think is also part of John Calvin's situation with the way the Antichrist yeah. is. If you look at the church in the 1600s, like especially like the Catholic Church, since he's technically a reformer, right? We're looking at like we want to actually sing things that are true about God. We want to make sure that everything is teaching people theology. Yeah, um, and, and then that, the, and the language people use is right. helpful. And we're actually like, like people actually know what they're saying. Yeah, um, and so. All of that leads him to, well, we're just going to do what's in Scripture, yeah. which is a probably an overcorrection to the right. the failings of the Catholic Church um, in that sense. Yeah, but and, and it's not like that was not relevant for the time. Like I said, like if you've gone from a, a, a Catholic prescription of church that much of it is even not in the language that you speak in a day-to-day -day basis, and all of a sudden you're like, let's develop the music uh, the, that supports these 150 Darwin songs. songs. Like you've got in one lifetime, if you're going to curate 150 songs, and of course, Psalm 119, um, you have you've got a big task. Like that's that's a lot of work. And 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 if part of music is repetition, you know, learn it by singing it frequently. And I I don't know that we as a church need to sing more than 150 songs in my lifetime. Right. Like right. our our hymnal and we're growing up, uh, 680 songs. That's a lot of songs. Some of them are national anthems of countries. Like. <laughs> probably don't need to sing that but of those songs used to sing called god bless our troops in uh, one of our churches in chicago every sunday yeah i would say i would say we sing of that of that hymnal probably 150 songs maybe yeah you're not singing all of them because no. you don't sing the random ones i mean yeah. unless you're doing a, a hymn singing on a sunday night right. and some kid's just flipping through the book yeah and it's like let's do number 324 exactly. and no one knows the melody right but not and not even the pianist can yeah, no and that, that's the other part is i think even as this the hymnary uh expands hum, the christian human is trying to become more and more creative and innovative in worship and so there there's going to be this departure from the the church sound to try and include other sounds and so you get some hymns that okay the words are nice but let's not use that 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 melody that is not helpful i mean that's sort of what the alliance worship people did with a lot of the ab simpson hymns is they went in and were like some of these are really bad uh and so we don't sing those ab simpson really wrote a lot of hymns but a lot of them were not great uh but some of them were good sorry so ab still love you they changed the <laughs> melodies because also he wasn't a composer yeah but he was trying to like there were certain theological elements he saw missing right. in the hymns of his day. So then he says, okay, well, we're going to write hymns about this. Yeah, let's step into something that, not necessarily my gifting, but we the church needs it. Right. Yeah. And so you see that also. So I think generally the regulative principle, at least if you use it in the sense that like we look at scripture and we say, hey, what is the church? So that's what you do with Acts 2, right? Yeah. So here's are the, here are the specific things. And then you read Acts um, and you can say, okay, so they also, they met in people's houses. Okay, do we need to meet in people's houses? They also met on Sundays. So we should probably meet on Sundays because that's when they met as a large gathering. They mm -hmm. met and someone preached. Okay, so we'll do that. They met and they worshiped. Great, so we're going to have worship. Mm -hmm. And then you can build out from there and then you can look at the epistles and from that understand what church looks like and what worship mm -hmm. looks like in Paul's mind right. if you're actually reading scripture in like a biblical theologic, theology kind yeah. of way. Instead of being like, unless it specifically tells me that we're going to pray during service, then we're not going to pray during service because that is too strict. I think you can end up in a weird yeah. spot. Um, it's it's going to be weird to try and build too rigid of a regulative principle around things that weren't that weren't, but but also that were, but we do differently because of 
culture. the economy of our right. time. And like for us to do communion in a first century church kind of way, like have a feast. is that right? So it is not a, a, a seven minute um, carve out from a Sunday morning. Moravians still do it. Which, which like right. in some contexts it still happens, but we've, we've taken the essential element of communion in the sense that in that, in that feast, they took a seven minute carve out, you know, whatever the number of time is. And they said, okay, this, this portion of the meal, even though we're eating all these things, drinking all this stuff, this portion of the meal, very much like on the Passover is focused on the body and the blood of Christ. Right. And it's what Paul focuses on. Right. So we've, we've taken out the essential element incorporated into our worship. But if we're getting really rigid on the regulative principle, then we need to have we're supposed to have a meal here i mean they were known for their love feasts that was one of the criticisms of the early church was that in these love feasts there was all kinds of wicked idolatry that was happening and they're like well you just don't know what we're doing but it was a celebration around the table uh, of the lord so anytime we get into and i guess maybe it's just my uh, pushback anytime we get try to get too regulative we have to look at how it actually fleshes itself out and usually what happens is we have this ideal and then something happens where that ideal is is not possible or it's just we're gonna have to stretch it and then once we stretch to meet our, our situation then we realize hey we could actually just this didn't have to be an exception this could actually just be how we do it normally and then from there the regulative principle goes out the window right so i think the point of the regulative principle which is supposed to be the point of worship is that we um, and I think this is the goal of probably the people who hold to this like strictly uh, would be that church worship is meant corporate worship is meant to glorify God. Yeah. And so if we want to be a thousand percent sure that our worship is glorifying to God, then if we stick to just what's in Scripture, then we'll be good. I think that's the idea. Right? Yeah. Um, which I think is one of the purposes of the church is that we glorify God through our worship. We bring praise to God because of salvation. Um, and because of what he has done. Um, and also, through that worship, we learn about God, which is what the Psalms do, right? Yeah. The Psalms teach us things about God, and they also, but while praising God for those things. Um, and they're in song form, partially because it's easier to teach things in yeah. song than in just if you tell someone. Right. They're going to remember it better, right? So I think that covers worship pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so the second one is that we uh, minister to believers, and that's where Ephesians, I think, covers most of that, mm -hmm. uh, is that the goal of uh, the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers is to equip the body of Christ um, with basically with, with the word of God so that they can be built up uh, to be like Christ. Um, so we do this in a number of ways. One of those would still be worship, like mm -hmm. tie into it. And then also through the teaching of scripture, um, that part of one of the main purposes of the church is they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So we have those two elements working together there's more things yeah. to say about the teaching part i think we've covered it previously but that's what preaching is. yeah well, I, I think it's the point of well one of the points yeah of preaching. but uh, the focus that that grudem has is on the the teaching and the theological instruction of the church um which i think is unnecessarily specific he calls it nurture so i guess it might include more than that yeah it would be more than that but i think it's also like if we are if the gospel is continuing to minister to us uh, as believers throughout our life, because everything is done in the context of a, of what Christ has done for us and what Christ continues to do through us, and none of that is possible, or none of that is a, a, a gift to us apart from the cross, 
and the, and the salvation that was purchased on our behalf. If, if, if all of that is always necessary as a precursor to anything that is done in a Christian's life, then we're preaching the gospel constantly to ourselves and to our believers, which makes it then very easy to also bring unbelievers into a worship service and preach the gospel to them. There isn't a gospel presentation simply for unbelievers so that they get saved. We continue to preach the gospel because it is by the essential work of Christ that our salvation and our walk with the Holy Spirit uh, guiding and directing and teaching us takes place. So I, I think there is an unnecessary qualification to say that uh, the purpose of the church is simply to, in the teaching element, is to teach believers. I, okay. I, I think I think it's because he's going to cover that in the evangelism, but I think those I think those things are much more right. closely married. So I mean, married. even in the Ephesians four passage, the next portion says, "Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord: You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God." He explains that uh, yeah. and they became callous, and he says, "But this is not how you came to know Christ: assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him." as the truth is in Jesus. And so uh, his Paul's thing is to constantly remind them of the gospel because that actually changes the way you live. So that's part of the nurturing yeah. also is that when we remind people of the gospel, it builds them up, but also it is, I guess, second Corinthians, it's comfort for them. Yeah. Uh, and so all of, all of the pastoral parts of, of ministry, which we'll get into next week of what the offices of the church are. So, um, but all are included in that, I think. Not just, not just the teaching, but the teaching is part of it. Like, mm -hmm. like if you're going to a church that never opens a Bible, that's you're not being nurtured. Um, yeah, you need, that is uh, a biblical definition of right. nurturing. We, yeah. need, we, need, we yeah. need scripture, but all of scripture is pointing to Jesus, so we should be hearing the gospel over and over again. Yeah, that it's not just like a okay, you heard the gospel, now let's move on. We'll go to other stuff. Yeah, and it should be equipping you to live out your salvation. Like, yeah. if all I'm hearing is a call to repent. Like, that's great, but there's also another... Yeah. Because we, of what Jesus exactly. said, I should have the next step of walking it out. Yeah. Hospital so and yeah. armor. Yeah. And and it doesn't take very it's much... It's not an either or. It's a both no, and. My, my, I guess my concern sometimes in in th the mindset of us as as believers is that we we move we move past the cross when we think of growing in maturity and yet Paul never does that. Like when you read Romans, especially um, because it's the, you know, the most protracted theological book, he's constantly going back to the power of the resurrection, power of the resurrection, even though Romans one is going to identify for the unbeliever, how they have, uh, they are, they are not in Christ. They've worshiping, you know, the things of the world rather than the creator of the world. Um, the, the rest of the, the, of all of the chapters, as we have them broken down, all of them have a reference to how much the resurrection of the of Christ is the power of the believer, and and so my desire is not to to say okay in maturity we we stay simple. It's more like how do we understand the power of the resurrection in our daily life, so that it becomes a formative element of who we are always. Like anytime we're tempted to get into any area of pride or or. Uh, arrogance or uh, bitterness or unforgiveness i mean the cross takes us back to having a worldview through which christ looked at us and if he was if he treated us in the same way that we would treat other people uh, when we lose sight of a sacrificial love uh, we wouldn't be where we are so the 
the gospel and the work of the of Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection um, that is that is a core element of our spiritual maturity. I just don't want us to leave that behind because no, we no, think we're going to totally. go into deeper weeds. I think sometimes weeds. also we think maturity and we think it can't be simple. But most things that have to do with maturity are actually simple, right? Just, think, just not easy. Right. Not necessarily <laughs> yeah. easy, but simple. Right. Like we, um, sometimes we want, especially Christian maturity, to be difficult. Like we want to feel like we're doing something, like it, like, like, I don't know, scripture reading and prayer is like a, cliche answer to like how you put closer to jesus because we're like oh that's a cliche so what do i actually do like what are yeah. the real things and like, right. no like it's a cliche because it's true that's this, the is, thing this, that... is, this is a scenario where yeah read your bible like if you want like it'll actually change like you'll actually yeah. be sanctified by reading your bible come to church yeah like like pray if you want to fast like, like fast like like mm-hmm. the things that we're told to do in scripture aren't easy things but they are simple yeah and those are the things that mature us and that's what paul always points us to is actually really simple things like they sound simple i guess like put off like in this passage put off your which is what you're talking about put off your old self put on your new self you know like it's not a complex command it's it's two parts (laughs) get rid of the old stuff do the new stuff that's it and then paul moves on and you're like wait (laughs) that sounds really hard Mm -hmm. yeah it is really hard but it is uh and i think that and it's because the christian life is focused on the cross the the cross is also simple like a lot of times when we when you look at other religions um the way you get to salvation is really difficult it is yeah. it is a lot of work to get to the place where you can say no i'm i know i have certainty and scripture says you trusted in jesus you have certainty yeah. you're good trust trust in that yeah. have faith in jesus and you're good and we're like ah, that seems too easy i don't yeah. know that <laughs> seems like right. <laughs> it seems like maybe i'm supposed to do something else yeah and Paul's like, no, you weren't supposed to do anything else. That's not how you learn Christ. Mm-hmm. You weren't supposed to go over there and live like a Gentile. You're also not supposed to add things to Jesus. So like, yep. both fail us. Well, I think we're actually out of time, so we're gonna have to cover evangelism next time. Right. Um, so that could be big enough for one episode. We can do it. I believe in us. Evangelism and mercy. We can talk we can, about it for a while. We can stretch that. Out. We can stretch it out for weeks. Um, except it's really simple. <laughs> except it's really simple. <laughs> Tell people about Jesus. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all these episodes could be shorter you know in, in, in that way Lots of in that way um you know like the godfather could have been shorter uh but... not on my wavelength but yeah <laughs> also a true statement <laughs> anyway if you have comments uh disagreements suggestions um you can reach us at podcast at parksidebicelia.org and until next time